Welcome back to the morning grind. Uh, Dean, once again with you. You guys, uh, we're going to be talking. I know it happened earlier this week, but we're going to do it all over again. There was MMA in the middle of the week, kind of like muck things up as far as our schedule. We're recording a little bit later, but uh, still want to give some MMA to the people. And we're going to bring back Artivore, Sun Tzu Joe. Joe, ready to talk some uh, MMA? This is what, the third MMA event in, I guess, eight days? Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, it, it'll be, yeah, actually seven. Yeah, eight days, actually. Saturday, Wednesday, and then Saturday again. And, uh, you know, we were talking off air, Dean, and uh, I was the proud, um, you know, taker of second place <laughs> um, in, the, in the Millie Maker. I mean, do you believe it? In the Millie Maker. And if you ask why am I still gracing Rotor Grinders with my presence um, <laughs> after taking second place in such a high dollar value contest, it's because first place was uh, 19 people. Um, second place, which is actually 20th, was 77 people. So... Where first place shit took home about sixty six thousand each, which is nice little payday. Um, second place, like uh, myself, tied with seventy six or so other people, um, took home four hundred dollars. Which boys and girls is what a top heavy contest looks like. Um, you know, sixty six thousand is great. Um, those of us um, who had Max Holloway um, are are really because I would have I would have taken down first. Um, would not have been 66,000, would have been more like 16, but that is better than a poke in the eye with a sharp stick. Um, <laughs> so um, that was an interesting card. Um, I think betting got me a little even, and I'm happy to, with my one bullet in the bracket challenge or the knockout challenge, I actually advanced. With my crappy lineup, I actually finished like 25th. But, you know, it was it, the scoring was so tight that if you scored three points worse, you would have been knocked out. Because you had to you had to finish in the top fifty to advance. Yeah. So now, so now on Saturday, I go against the top fifty, and the idea is to be in the top twenty-five. You know, so I was able to advance. Um, and then last night was a really strange card. Um, I was looking really, really good heading right into that Molly McCann fight, or as they call her, Meatball Molly. Um, and we got uh, Ms. Santos, who had a little had a bit of an upset in that fight. Um, really cost me and. Uh, could have been a really good night, but it wasn't. Yeah, well, I was going to ask your impressions. We kind of speculated on a previous show, talking about like what's what do we expect out of Fight Island? Talk about the judges. Talking about I mean, kind of like uh, you know, we were talking about the you know significant strikes. What's a significant strike? Who's counting them? And uh, both those things I saw popping on Twitter. And of course, uh, you were on the wrong side of it as far as Holloway as well. If uh, that decision went your way, and I saw you know, I guess everything's subjective, and there's a lot of subjective things, and. It was it overwhelmingly people thought Holloway was the victor and that just whatever reason the, the judge is kind of goofed or what? Look, I don't know if I would call it an outright robbery. I mean, there was one round that was really close. I mean, I've seen worse decisions. I was actually nervous um, <laughs> going into that decision because I, I really, my heart said, yeah, let's, let's give it to Holloway. Um, you know, I really did think he won three rounds to two, um, but there was one round that was really close and, and just just to be clear, as it as it relates to significant strikes, and that has nothing to do with 
um, Abu Dhabi. It has nothing to do with the judges. <laughs> um, I honestly believe that because of all my complaining, and if I was a conspiracy theorist, I would say someone at, at Fight Metrics or UFC strikes now, I believe they absorb Fight Metrics, just had an axe to grind against me. <laughs> so like they, they know your you know, lineups. Yeah, I mean, like they're they're it's so inconsistent. I mean, last night, Flash Gordon, who had a kind of a dominant performance in a win, got credited with something like 42 significant strikes when he actually landed more than that in the third round alone. Right. And in, in my opinion and in others, I mean, a lot of people were outraged. So there needs to be some consistency because this really costs money. And then going quickly back to Max, he got two knockdowns. I mean, it was, you know, everybody pretty much said it, the UFC, the announcers, for whatever reason, whoever DraftKings was using, and apparently there's some discretion in what's considered a knockdown. Like they don't always go off the stats provided by the UFC. I don't understand all the dynamics to it, but Max got credit for no knockdowns. So that was another 20 points that we were cost because a knockdown is, is 10 points. So, yeah, the inconsistent, you know, it's something that has to be remedied with these prize pools getting a lot bigger. And when you were playing for 5000 or 10000 which don't get me wrong, is, is not insignificant money. But in the grand scheme of things, I mean, Dean, when you guys are playing baseball or basketball or football and, you know, you're shooting for much higher prize pools, right, you know, the focus on statistics and, and getting it right. And I don't know, how many times were you affected by, um, you know, scoring changes after the contest? Right. Oh, yeah. Like you, sure. you don't you don't ever see that in, in MMA. I mean, you know, it might take a while for the fight to get scored. Like there have been occasions where the next fight is already started and you're still waiting for round three of the prior fight to be scored. But it's not they're not changing score. You know, it's just it's essentially they're, they're they're updating it where, you know, I've seen it in NBA, especially where, you know, you really don't want to post any any victories because. You know, you're always subject to scoring changes, and sometimes it works in your favor, and sometimes it works against you. So with, with the advent of these really high prize pools now in MMA, something needs to be done. There needs to be some defined level of consistency because it's costing us money. It's frustrating people, especially high-volume guys. It's really frustrating us because we just don't know from one fight to the next, you know, whether significant strikes is going to be a factor or not. Yeah, uh, not a belly maker this week for what it's worth. It's uh, $18 to jump in. You can turn 18K into 150K with a total prize pool of 600K if you happen to bink it and nobody else has the uh, a duplicate lineup. Uh, just for a second, as far as Holloway, I'm curious your thoughts on this because this is one of those things you hear when it was unwritten rules. I'm fairly certain he was the challenger to a champion. Yes. Uh, it isn't the thought, like one of those traditional thought processes you hear is like you have to beat the champion, not like just barely inch him out and like. If it's that close, they just yield to the champ. Is that something you think they may have implemented, implemented there? And is that that's like a, a thing? that's a boxing? Like I used to hear, like I, I used to be as as many of us who, and some people still are. And in all honesty, I mean, I started as a boxing fan. I mean, I would go to Vegas, I'd go to all the fights. I mean, I love Bernard Hopkins, you know, Floyd Mayweather. I would go to all the big fights in Vegas, and some of the largest bets I made were were on fights, and you know, just the whole fight night atmosphere. And I migrated to MMA to the point now where I hardly ever watch boxing at all. That was an old adage in boxing. Like, if you're a champ, you got to take it from them. If it's close, I don't see that as much in MMA. I mean, and in all honesty, it shouldn't really. I mean, because there are metrics. I mean, you're looking at strikes. You're looking at takedowns. You're looking at knockdowns. I mean, you know, yeah, there's some ambiguity. um, But I don't necessarily see that as much. 
I don't even honestly see it as much in boxing anymore, but you know, that's the one thing my dad always would tell me. He's like, yeah, you got to take it from the, the challenger. Yeah. Like you got, you got to beat the champion. Um, and I, I just don't think it's as much of an adage anymore as it used to be. How much fun with those Bernard Hopkins uh, intros is, is walking down to the ring. I love it. I, I, you know, <laughs> Bernard Hopkins, a quick story about Bernard Hopkins. I know this is an MMA pod, but um, Bernard Hopkins, when he fought Felix Trinidad, he was a two to one underdog. And Trinidad had all the hype. And Bernard Hopkins was not an exciting fighter. He was a counterpuncher. Like, not a, peop- not a lot of people outside of boxing really knew who Bernard Hopkins was. And here's Felix, Felix Trinidad, this, you know, fighter from Puerto Rico. He's got a lot of flash. You know, he beat, beats Oscar De La Hoya. You know, he comes in, and he's a two-to-one favorite. So this offshore sports book or offshore Golden Palace um, gives Bernard Hopkins $100,000 to – actually paint like having like this was common actually not common but this was not unheard of back in the day he would actually put it on his body like a temporary tattoo yeah like on his back that advertised golden palace so he took the hundred thousand dollars and went into the sports book and bet it on himself now that's awesome oh yeah, half style yeah had i known that i would have like actually been all over bernard hopkins in that fight because i love <laughs> a guy that puts his own money on himself and you're typically allowed to bet on yourself it's true even in MMA. I mean, you can bet on yourself. You could actually bet on other fights. You just can't bet against yourself um, in a fight. But, uh, yeah, I love Bernard Hopkins. He was one of my favorites. Does anybody ever come out in the MMA and say, like, I'm betting on myself? Does that happen commonly? Because I, I, I thought, I, yes. Um, I had heard, yeah, you, you do hear it. And I had heard um, Tony Rocco Martin, when he fought Damian Maya, he made a fairly large bet on himself. He lost, but he made a fairly large bet on himself when he fought Damian Maya. All right, the slate that's going down this Saturday. Uh, well, before I dig in, it's interesting because I feel like content providers and just everybody in general are probably getting a, like a late start as yep. far as uh, analyzing this. And do you think that's going to affect? Uh, it's a, it's a small window, like right. you know, uh, as far as you know, researching, putting out content, and all that. Does that have any sort of effect as far as lineup construction? You think, or it's just a I, random thought I had? I think it might. And, and you know, here's what some guys did. Like there are some guys who look. I. I I watch as much as I can. I'm not like other people who don't want to be influenced. Like I, I want to be able to process information. And I think one of the good things or one of the things I've learned, and it's, it's cost me money, but one of the things I learned is to filter out information that's, you know, that's not useful and filter in information that's useful. So for that reason, I'll watch a lot of different video pods and, you know, and audio pods. And there are people I respect, you know, who put out really good content. A lot of guys, I shouldn't say a lot, but a number of podcasters actually did both cards at the same time like the Wednesday card and the Saturday card and just like they recorded at the same time and they just waited to release um you know the the Saturday card so now it's just a function of like having to do an update if any fights cancel uh, and again there are no fight there are no fighters obviously that are on both cards so it was actually something that could be done but just just for ease I've seen a lot of people do that and there are some pods out and I think um you know, there's, there's still going to be a fair amount of content. It's just you're not going to have as much time to process it. We are recording this on a Thursday night. Far as I can tell, far as I can see, uh, nobody's been uh, nobody's been scratched, right? Everybody's still fighting that was originally supposed to fight? Knock on wood. Knock on wood. Yeah, hopefully that holds true. 12-fight <clears throat> card. What are your thoughts as far as, uh, you know, the overall, you know, the overall 12 fighters here? Well, I guess 24 fighters. The 12 fights as far as do you like this card, do you not like this card? I, I like this card. I like this card, Dean, because I see some value in this card. Like the title fight is actually a rematch 
And it, it was actually a fairly recent rematch. And the reason why there's a rematch is because the the victor in that fight um, severely headbutted um, Joe Benavidez. Um, and that actually impaired him to the point where it made him relatively easy to finish. Um, and everybody kind of saw that. He didn't really get penalized for it at all. And apparently even in Portuguese, the, uh, Figueroa, you know, and again, this could all be bluster. After the fight said he meant to headbutt him and – you know, that's all the UFC needed to hear. So they, they kind of rebuffed this. Um, I will say, you know, Joe B at, at his underdog price, the, the line was a lot closer um, going into the first fight. Um, and also Joe B, um, for those of those people who aren't hardcore, his wife is Megan Oliveri, the, 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 the UFC like sideline reporter. Um, you know, so one, he, he already hit it out of the park by virtue of marrying her. And my point is they've been together in, in you know, in Abu Dhabi. For a while so like you know having like that kind of routine available is going to help and you know having you know figure out oh, i don't know when he arrived but he had to fly in from brazil which is kind of a, a fairly long flight um you know so i think that's an interesting fight and i also see some fades and i see some real value on this card well let's knock out the uh, the featured fight like the, the five round fight first i feel like that's the most important to talk about how much do we need it uh how ballsy is it to fade it uh, you talk about Joe B is currently what plus uh, plus one seventy. I'm um, seeing right now. I'm looking at the DK and the Fanduel Sportsbook, uh, kind of combining them together. To be honest, uh, minus one ninety for this fight to not go the distance. Uh, it, you know, how much do we need this? Are we considering stacking this, or do we potentially fade it? Yeah, I don't know if I would necessarily stack it. Look, um, Figueredo Figueredo has not scored a hundred points in his last. Four fights. Now, he's gotten close, and he's actually hit 10x um, or better in his fights, so that's good. Um, but, you know, as he's progressively climbed up in terms of competition, you know, his, his scoring has fallen off a little on DK. Look, 98 is nothing to sneeze about, and, you know, 94, 90. But, you know, again, he hasn't fought the same level of competition. Now, the one good competitor out of the last four that he fought, Juicy Formiga, who's kind of fallen off a cliff recently, um, beat him. Um, and Figueroa was, was a favorite going into that fight. And he did obviously did not score well in a loss. So I don't know that I necessarily see a great floor um, for Figueroa. And, you know, he is fairly expensive at 9K. Now, if we look at, if we look at Joe Benavidez, um, he is, yep. So Joe Benavidez has been a much better scorer in wins of late. So he actually beat Formiga who was the guy who beat um, Figueredo several fights back. Um, He scored 108 in that fight. He scored 102 the fight before and scored 113 the fight before that. Now, in a loss against Figueredo, he only scored 23 points. So I think the winner will do reasonably well in this fight. And obviously, if um, if Joe B wins, um, he should be on the optimal because he's really cheap at 7.2K. I don't think he's ever scored in a win – yeah, he actually scored, you know, he has an earlier, earlier, like back to 2016, he had some low scores um, in wins because he's not a prolific striker. Um, you know, usually you want to see him get some takedowns. You know, um, I think Figueredo is going to need to, Figueredo's a more aggressive striker and, and he obviously has the, you know, he has the potential for a knockout, which I don't necessarily see Joe Benavidez getting. Um, you know, also maybe some grappling, um, you know, this could be a really good scrambling fight for DK. Um, so I don't know if I would stack this fight. I see a lot of value elsewhere on the card. 
Um, I don't think you need to stack it. I don't say I don't say that you necessarily need um, you know the, this this fight, but over five rounds um, with some grappling heavy points, you should probably have some exposure to it. Um, particularly if you like Joe B here, because again, at his price point, he doesn't have to do much um, to get 10x to get optimal. Um, at 9k, um, you know, Formiga's got to do. I mean, uh, sorry, Figueroa has got to do a little more. All right, you, you teased it. Well, who are the value plays here? What's the value that's popping for you right now? Okay, so there's a bit of narrative here. So first of all, um, I want you to look at um, Ariana Lipsky at 8.3K. Okay. Okay, so in her last three fights, she was a 5-2 to two favorite. She lost the first two. Um, the third fight, um, there was a short-notice replacement who, because she was short-notice, missed weight ended up having to give 30% of her purse to Lipsky. Um, much inferior, was the by far the easiest competitor that the UFC put in front of her. Um, and she won that fight. Okay, she was supposed to win and she won. She, again, was a 5-2 to two favorite. So three fights, 5-2 to two favorite, all three fights, win is one and two. So what does the UFC do? They give her a four-fight contract. Do you want to know why they gave her a four-fight contract? Um, and again, I know this is PG, so I'm going to keep it clean. <laughs> I have she a is, guess. She <laughs> is one of the most attractive fighters in all of MMA. Um, you could look at her topology page, Dean, which I'm sure you're going to right now. Um, and just, just, you know, Google, um, Ariana Lipsky and see some of her, her images. Th- this is the type of fighter that the UFC wants to give every chance to be successful. I mean, look how long they stuck with Paige Van Zandt. Um, you know, so this is a fighter, you know, that actually, you know, was in an, an okay promotion and did well. Her nickname is the violence queen um, in this, in this contest, the violence queen um, at 8.3 K. She is fighting um, Carolina, whose nickname is dread. Who's coming off a really, really good um, DraftKings performance. Um, you know, where she put up 109 points, um, had 111 significant strikes, one knockdown, two reversals and an advance and scored 109 points. I believe, Dean, and I don't have the odds open. I believe this is pretty even from a betting perspective. I have it in front of me. Lipsky currently minus 137, uh, minus 335 to go the distance for what it's worth. Right. Yeah, it's going it's to go the distance. Okay, so I, when I last, I thought I saw minus 115, minus 15. That might have been on the open. But anyway, um, Carolina is 6-1, and one, okay? Um she got into the UFC by virtue of a unanimous decision win on the Dana White Contender Series. Um, her next fight was against what we call Priscilla Catch a Beating, based on the amount of, of, of significant strikes Priscilla took against uh, Valentina Shevchenko um, in, a, in, a, in an open-ended mismatch. So Carolina beat her. She's 6-1. and one, Okay, she is on a – she lost her first professional fight and then won six fights in a row. As much as it pains me because – I want to see, um, you know, weigh-ins with Lipsky. Um, I think the value here, and it's pretty significant, is on um, Carolina. I mean, it's 7.9K. It would not surprise me if, if when we get closer to fight time that this line goes back to about even or minus 115. So at 7.9K, I like her. Um, I'm probably going to come as close to a full fade on Lipsky as I, I possibly can. Again, if I'm if I'm maxing the $18 contest, I'll have some shares of her just because for game theory and, and I like to have exposure to all fighters. But I really do see a significant amount of value in Carolina here at 7.9K. 
You like her plus 110 as well to win? Um, you know, again, yeah, uh, yeah, probably. I mean, again, I, the, thankfully the UFC doesn't hire judges because if they <laughs> did, they would certainly hire judges that, you know, were, were male um, and wanted to uh, wanted Lipsky to move on. Um, but yeah, I, I would like her. I mean, I would, you know, if the line gets any wider, it might be a good opportunity to jump. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, but look, even if Lipsky wins, she's going to win by decision. I don't think she has a really high ceiling on DraftKings. Um, you know, look, fight metric or UFC metrics can go crazy and give her a, um, a, a lot of, like, if she lands significant strikes, uh, look, look at the significant strikes that Carolina um, got credited for last time, 111. I'm, I'm pretty sure she probably didn't actually land that many. Um, but, you know, I, I do see some value here in the dog. I probably won't have a whole lot of shares of Lipsky, but I'll tell you, this is one way and I'll definitely be tuning into. But so um, if the UFC had their way, in theory, like the way you frame that, I mean, they want Lipsky to win, right? They want her to be successful. Obviously, they, they can't like make her win. Like, but wouldn't they put her with a quote unquote, like a cupcake of some yeah, sort? Yeah, there's only, well, they did that last time, right? Okay. And then based on that win against the short notice replacement who missed weight, and, and was vastly inferior to her, they gave her a four-fight contract. Yeah. So in, unless now, again, the way that I understand all UFC contracts to work, they can cut you after two consecutive losses, right? So, But they have her for four fights, you know? So I don't know that they necessarily have to worry too much. Like, they probably think she's got a shot to win in this fight, but I just don't think it's that sure. And, and I, I really do see value at 7.9K. I mean, you know, Lipsky is probably better than Priscilla catch a beating. Um, but I don't know that she's that much better. And, um, you know, 7.9K, uh, someone who scored 109 points last time out. Um, you know, if you're looking for value, I think you could do a whole heck of a lot worse. Is there anybody else from a value perspective that's going to jump for you early? Okay, so <laughs> here is um, – this is a bit of a reach, but, you know, if you follow me here, um, this is either a fade or, or dog play. The most – the highest-priced fighter on this card is a guy named Joe Duffy or Irish Joe Duffy. Yeah. Irish Joe Duffy's claim to fame is he beat Conor McGregor back in the day. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, you know, I think before Conor even had a chest tattoo. Um, you know, he has lately fallen off a cliff. Um, you know, he's fought three times since March of 2017. He had kind of an uninspired win against Razor Madati, where he put up 67 drafting points. Um, James Vick, who himself has fallen off a cliff, KO'd him in the second round and he put 23 points up. Then as a 9.1K favorite, Mark Casey who has improved, but who has had holes in his game, um, won a decision where Joe Duffy only landed 15 significant strikes. So I honestly didn't realize Joe Duffy was still on the roster. I thought he retired. Um, you know, so I'm not sure, like, I have no faith in him as the most expensive fighter in DK. I'm not saying that his opponent is great. Um, if you look at Alvarez, he had a come-from-behind knockout victory in his last fight, um, put up 88 points. Um, Again, uh, you know, he has not fought in – he has not fought as good competition or, you know, in, his, in a top-notch promotion. But, I mean, you know, here's a guy. If you, if you, look, at him, if you look at him up on DraftKings – I'm sorry, on, on Tapology, um, you know, you'll see that 
you know, he is, and again, this is another fight that I, I don't know why it's on the, you know, why it's on the main card. Um, actually, maybe it isn't on the main card. It is not on the main card. He's 16 and two. Okay. So he's a 16 and two fighter. He's got a height and reach advantage. Um, he's six foot three, 77 inches at 155 pounds. You know, he's got good length. He's got good reach. Um, and again, I don't know what Duffy's MO is. I don't know if Duffy is looking for a paycheck, if he's serious to coming back. But he's had such an un- uninspired last three years. Maybe this is the UFC saying, okay, we'll, we'll give you, um, you know, someone who is maybe not as highly acclaimed, who had a comeback victory in his last fight. Um, we'll give you this guy. If you look good against this guy, you get another fight. Um, you know, he is, again, um, you know, a favorite in this fight, um, a pretty significant favorite, which is reflecting in his DraftKings score. But in all honesty, I to me, this is, for DraftKings, it's dog or pass. I'll have very few shares of Duffy. Um, I'm obviously intrigued by by Alvarez at 6.9K, um, you know, to put him in some lineups. I mean, you could obviously do a lot when one of your fighters is 6.9K. So I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to have more exposure to Alvarez than I have to Duffy, you know, for all of that narrative that I just laid out. I'm not saying it's without risk. And Duffy, you know, like maybe Duffy's rejuvenated and he comes out and he, he sparks this kid. You know, Alvarez, um, who's, you know, maybe has a slightly padded 16-2 and two record. But, you know, he is giving up height and reach. Um, you know, he has not looked great over the course of his last three fights, one win and two losses. So, you know, from my perspective, I mean, there's so much, there's so many more better plays um, in the upper price points than Duffy, in my opinion. And I think it's worth taking a flyer with Alvarez. It's interesting. You throw uh, Alvarez and uh, the aforementioned Joe B into the same lineup, and you got 8.9 and change for the rest of your lineup on average, and you could basically do whatever you want. And exactly. The, the other thing I found interesting uh, that I wanted to ask you about, and you talked about it, about Duffy, he's the biggest favorite on this card by a big margin. He's minus 400, Alvarez plus 295. Um, yeah, and it's also, he's not a favorite to knock him out. He's just a favorite to win because it's minus 136 to go the distance. So I love to see the big favorite you know, with the big number that they're going to, you know, finish it within the distance. But like, why would I spend that much money on a guy that's probably going to go, I mean, maybe he gets a bunch of significant strikes to hold their conversation, but you know, we want that first round knockout, preferably like late in the first round. Yeah. But yeah. I, so uh, I, I was looking at Duffy and like, I, I was going to ask, like, he doesn't look like the typical 9.3K guy that just like a lock and load. Now, I mean, he's been resting on his IP Conor McGregor laurels for a number of years. I mean, and again, there was also some, hardcore contract negotiations with the UFC. And, you know, I think, you know, he was looking for a better deal than they were willing to give him. Um, again, I, I, I just don't, I'm not in love with him as a fighter. I mean, um, he's got some decent boxing. Uh, he's okay on the ground. Um, I just don't, you know, I don't love him in this spot. I don't like guys coming off long layoffs like that. Um, you know, there's just a lot of red flags that I see on this fight. I mean, I would much rather have Grant Dawson at 9.2K, I'd much rather have Montel Jackson at 9.1K. I mean, Dawson is is on a roll. He's averaging 106.5 DraftKings points a fight. I mean, I think you'd have to be crazy. He's 15-1 and one not to pay down $100 um, and, and go with Grant Dawson in that fight against Nadir Amani. Um, yeah, give, give me, uh, you know, Faye Joe Duffy, give me Dawson and Jackson. Yeah, and I was also going to ask about the guy that's 8.9K, and now this is where I try to butcher the dude's name. Uh, uh Yeah, um, this is a guy, in all honesty, I don't know a lot about. I mean, um, he's a, he's debuting in the UFC. 
Um, let's see. I think he was what, like six and oh, he didn't have really a lot of fights. Um, what really popped for me is you're looking for that. What really popped for me is like the inside the distance number. Yeah. Minus 260 to not go the distance, and he's a minus 190 favorite. So just knowing nothing else, those two numbers like intrigue me. Yeah, I think he does hold, uh, and he's 32 years old with only six fights, which kind of worries me a little bit. Um, fights out of Soviet Georgia. Um, you know, 6-0, and oh, which, again, is, is okay, um, but you'd expect someone 32 years old to have had more than six professional fights. That um, seems weird. Yeah, which kind of worries me. Um, he is the number two ranked lightweight in Ukraine for whatever that's worth in 28th in Eastern <laughs> Europe. One thing I will say is he probably comes pretty close um, for tying as the fighter with the most body hair in the UFC. Um, so I'm sure that after round one, no one's going to want to wrestle with this guy. Um, so I could certainly, you know, I could certainly maybe give him a round two or three finish. Um, you know, and it's, here's the thing too, you know, so you've got a debuting fighter um, who hasn't fought since 2018. Um, you know, I, What's I, been doing? I don't know. And, and now I'm going to like, again, I'm going to hope that someone has some narrative. Yeah. Um, Cause I just haven't had a lot of chance to look into him. So like, there could be a very solid reason why a, a guy who's 30, who's 32 years old with six professional fights, you know, hasn't fought, you know, in essentially the last two years, but there's all types of red flags here. So unless I pick up some like significant narrative, on this guy, I, I would be hard pressed to be playing him at 8.9K. I'd rather pay pay down 100 and, and play Pantoja, um, you know, who's definitely put up some points in in victories. And this guy, um, he's fighting Ibrahimov. Yeah, he's got two losses in the UFC. I get it, but at least he's been more active. You know, um, you got a Russian fighter against the Ukrainian fighter, or a Russian. Maybe they're both Russian. Um, you know has had a pretty decent floor in a, in a grappling heavy type of uh, fight style, you know, 40 points, 52 points is not horrible in a loss. I think if you knew that this guy was going to put up 52 points at 7.3 K in a loss, you might sign up for that in cash. Um, you know, so I don't know, man, I, I got to get some more color on, on, on the six and 32 year old fighter who hasn't fought in the last two years. By the way, the guy that uh, Duffy lost to last time out, uh, Mark Diakis, he's also – I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. Yeah, Diakese. Oh, Diakese. Oh, I was way off. Samsonite. Yeah. Uh, yeah, talk to me about the, about Mark. So Mark the bone crusher Diakese. So he he came into the UFC with a big splash. He's he, This guy was a pure athlete, right? What he lacked in technique, he made up for in athleticism. Like, you know, he was doing body slams and all kinds of stuff, and then – as is typically the case, you know, you know, he went three and oh, and his comp, the competition caught up with him. Right. So he fights Drakkar close. He loses by decision. Um, he fights Dan Hooker. He gets subbed. He fights, um, half a crap, and gets, and gets uh, decisioned. Um, he then takes, takes some time, um, and goes and trains at American top team, which has really helped him out a lot recently he's now on a two-fight win streak um one of those wins against duffy um another one against a really game lando venata who he took down four times um in his last two fights we've seen seven takedowns um which is very impressive and that gives me some hope um for a reasonable score here so you know you've got you've got the bone crusher um good cam change now if i serve is no slouch 
Um, you know, he's he's decent. Um, you know, but this is a guy that and he he's coming off a win against White, Alex White. He's not a great fighter. Um, only put up 68 points, got one takedown. This is the kind of fight that Dia Casey should win, has to win. Um, 8.5K is not horrible. Um, I'll definitely have some shares of him. You think he's your favorite guy in the mid-tier as of right now, in the eight-inch eight change, give or take? Well, let's see. You know, I guess we, you know, the mid-tier is always defined differently. And I will be completely honest. I do not know a lot as, as of the moment about Amir Albazi. That's one fight that I, I kind of have to still do some research on. Um, Spivak is boom or bust, right? So Spivak is, this is a low-level heavyweight fight. He's fighting a, a newcomer to the UFC, someone who I, again, don't know a lot about. Um, you know, heavyweights are always very risky. Um, I certainly like the Akezi more than, than Spivak. Um, I probably like him more against, um, to Zarkan. Um, you know, actually I don't like him more than Hermanson. I think, again, I'm picking Hermanson to win. So I like Hermanson a bit and I, you know how I feel about Carolina. I think Carolina might be the strongest play. And if you're gonna, if you're gonna count mid range down to 7.9 K, I would say that Carolina might be my favorite mid-range play. I know how you like, uh, you know, you like to make, make some bets, and you put it put it out there on Twitter as well. Uh, is Hermanson somebody you're locking in on? He's currently a coin toss. What it's worth, they're both. It's a true coin toss, minus one twelve on both sides. Yeah, Hermanson, I'm going to play. I have not bet him yet, and I'll, I'll give you some of the narrative about his opponent, Gastelum. So, Gastelum is a fighter who should be fighting at welterweight. If there's anybody you need a nutritionist, it's him. He he. <laughs> He missed weight too many times and was told essentially that he had to move up. Um, his last fight, and look, he's been fighting really good competition. I mean, his last fight was against Darren Till, but this was a fight that he was supposed to win. I mean, he was 9.2K on DraftKings. He only landed 40 significant strikes, one takedown, and put up 25 DK points. Now, he had a much better fight against Israel Adesanya, who's the middleweight champion. Um, but that was a five-round fight. He landed 91 significant strikes. One, uh, one takedown, one reversal, um, scored 56 points, which is not a bad floor for 7K because he was a big underdog in that fight. Um, he has some good wins. Uh, he, he KO'd Michael Bisbing, um, you know, Jacare Souza. Um, you know, it's just – I see him as a natural 170 fighter. Um, and anytime he runs up against, you know, like some of the bigger middleweights um, – and I really like Hermanson. They call him the Joker. That's his nickname – um, mm-hmm. He did not have a good luck in his fight against um, Cannoneer. But before that, I mean, he has been DraftKings gold. Um, he put up in a five-round decision, in a decision against Jacare Sosa, 148 significant strikes, three takedowns, one advance, scored 122 points at 7.3K. Boys and girls, that's what we call a slate breaker. Um, prior to that, um, Branch, he subbed him, put up 100 points. And then against Gerald Mershart. 41 significant strikes, one takedown, and nine advances, and put up 143 points at 8.8K. So this guy has been really DraftKings gold, had a bad look against Cannonier, who's really good. The problem with Hermanson is he doesn't have a high floor. Uh, at 8K, I'm not super concerned about that because I, I do like him um, to win this fight. Um, I do think he's, he's going to be the bigger guy. Um, I like him. I haven't looked at height and reach, but pretty much everybody has a height and reach advantage in middleweight over, over Gastelum. So I like the Joker here and I will be making a bet. I mean, if I could get even more value and I don't necessarily think I will, 
but I could certainly see him as a standalone or a parlay piece. Is there any fights as of right now you're looking at uh, as a fade or like a significant other weight, uh, underweight to the field or one that you're going to be significantly overweight to the field? Yeah. So again, the, you know, obviously Duffy, I don't like that fight um, that much. Um, I would lean towards the underdog in that fight. Um, you know, I don't, and, and just because I don't know a lot about um, Gordon and Aziz, um, you know, Ramos and, Tazarkian is a pretty interesting fight. Um, you know, again, these guys, if we look them up real quick on DraftKings, um, we look up Ramos. Uh, he's the dog in this fight. Um, he's averaged 71 significant points. Um, you know, he put up some decent numbers on DraftKings, but against much lower competition, you know, as the competition. And what's interesting is both these guys recently lost to the same fighter, um, Islam Makachev, who is part of, Habib Nurmagomedov's camp, you know, like I think he's actually the guy that cooks for Khabib during training, and he's a hell of a fighter himself and a real, a real shutdown type of wrestler. He's Ramos, yeah, Ramos did nothing against that guy. Like I think he put up four DraftKings points, where um, Tazarkian had a much better outing. As a matter of fact, um, you know, afterwards uh, Islam said how impressed he was um, with that fight. He was six point eight k. He actually took down Islam, which no one thought would ever happen. Didn't put up a lot of points, but just aesthetically fought a much more impressive fight. And then he went up to Alban Mercier, who is no Islam Makachev, is not a bad fighter by any means, um, and won a decision there with two takedowns, threw up 47 significant strikes. My issue here is that neither one of these guys lately has been really good scorers on DraftKings. So this is kind of just a grindy fight. Um, unless one party dominates, um, you know, I don't necessarily see a really high score coming in this fight. So it, it may be fadeable for that reason. Um, like if you're doing 20 lineups, I could certainly see perhaps leaving this fight out or maybe doing one lineup max. Obviously, you want some of this fight if you're doing 150 in the 18. But this is one of those fights that I, I probably don't want a ton of exposure to. Um, unless it's just pure contrarian, because I, I, you know, based on past performances, recent records, recency bias, um, I don't know that these guys are going to put up a lot of points. Yeah, it's interesting you're talking about like not knowing a heck of a lot about a certain fighter. Uh, I don't know if DK or Fandle knows a lot about some fighters either. Is there's three fights out there where there's still no number as far as uh, you know to finish the odds to finish, and it's the Ramos fight, the Gordon fight, and the Spivak fight. All three of them. We have odds, at least, but as far as the finish, we don't have that just yet. I would imagine we will uh, come Saturday. Of course, we're recording this on Thursday night. Uh, what do you have going on uh, later on this week? Are you doing anything with Brett? Or, uh, yeah, any, we're going to maybe, you know, maybe Brett and I will do a creating alpha. Um, you know, we always get a lot of call for that. But let me tell you, if anybody's going to need oxygen at the end of this week, it's Brett. I mean, he's got to be exhausted. Yeah, he put out, uh, out 15,000 words for the, um, you know, for the Millie Maker card. Um, you know, he tur- had to turn around and get out content for Wednesday slate for it to be useful. So that all went up on Tuesday. And if you want to add insult to injury, this poor guy, <laughs> he's got a um, outside of his window in his apartment. Someone's air conditioning unit is broke and it- it's just making all kinds of noise. The poor <laughs> guy can't sleep. Um, <laughs> someone like sent him an Ambien. Um, you know, because he's just so the guys not get the poor guys not getting any sleep. 
He's had three cards to put out content for, right? You know, all of his obligations with Roto Grinders. Um, we may squeeze in an alpha tomorrow. It really depends on Brett. I mean, um, my work schedule has been a bear, which I appreciate you guys working with me to, to do this at 6.30. Um, you know, but yeah, this is, uh, is going to be an interesting week. Um, I really thought the slate to make money on was last night because anybody who was prepared, you know, given the quick turn time, should have had a really distinct um, advantage. Um, obviously that was not me because I thought I was prepared, but I, I <laughs> overly relied on McCann and um, was, was much heavier on her than I should have. Um, and it could have worked out a lot differently. So again, and I know I always pitch it and I sound like a broken record and Dean, you could confirm this. I don't get a dime for anybody who buys premium or Brett, Brett Apley's package. So not um, my I, old, yeah. no, I'm, so. <laughs> I'm, I'm very clear uh, about, you know, I am an independent. I don't, I don't sell picks. I don't get money for anything that I do, um, you know, outside of my day job, you know, so when I give advice, um, you know, it is purely based on the inherent value that I see in it. And I see a lot of value in Brett's, um, you know, package. He puts a ton. I mean, he agonizes over each and every write-up that he does. Um, so, you know, this is a guy, go to, go to Rota Grinders. It's not that expensive. Go to premium, go to core, buy this package, um, you know, for those of you that had not had as much time to prepare as you would like, um, you know, this is what you really need. And he's very clear, like, read the write-ups. Don't just yeah. read who he's picking. Like, read it's, the write-ups. It's tempting to scroll down and just, like, look at the names. And- it, it is. It is. It's very <laughs> – well, look, when there's 15,000 words, Dean, I mean, you know, maybe you don't have time to read 15,000 words. But it's really important. And, you know, depending on what you play, like, what level, how much you play, it's, it's certainly, like, it's so cost-effective. And I know people who are penny-wise – and pound foolish. I mean, if you're playing a thousand dollars on a card, you should spend whatever the nine dollars or ten dollars or whatever the whatever it is to, to buy, you know, to buy a write up. And and it's not a tout. It's it's a review. It gives you. He tells you who he's playing. He tells you what his exposures are going to be. And let me tell you, Brett is one guy. And I'm not going to mention any names. There are other guys out there <laughs> that provide content that don't play. Um, you know, and, and, you know, look, they, they know MMA and they do a good job, but they're simply not players. And to me, I want to roll with guys who have their own money on the line personally. And that's Brett. So that's my big pitch for Brett. Trust me, (laughs) I'm not getting anything for doing this. I'm just trying to help you guys out. I would never, ever recommend anything that I don't believe in myself. So, um, that is a good way to go. Um, and, uh, you know, look, and also if you buy, oh, shoot, if you buy the premium, MMA, you you get the lineup optimizer, and Brett's um, core plays, cash plays, um, and and GPP. Perfect. You yeah, you could actually click on them, and actually have that factor into how the how the lineup optimizer works. So um, yeah, I mean okay. I, I don't know about you, Dean, but I can't build 150 lineups by hand. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, even for other sports, I'm sure you've used the lineup optimizer or two. I certainly have, but a lot of times I like to hand build my stuff too, but I'll, I'll like make it just to sort of see what they look like. Right. Uh, and it's, it's worth noting. Uh, I know we, we gave away, we're, we're celebrating our 10th year anniversary for RG and we gave away the optimizer and the lineup HQ for golf. And I, wow. uh, a couple of days ago, and I believe I'm fairly certain uh, you can use it for showdown slates as well too. So I think that's still free. Don't quote me on it, but if you guys are not aware, try it. And yeah, it, it's a, it's a really fun tool and you can, there's lots in there. Like you said, all in the, the golf hit the four or five different guys, given their fair plays from a cash perspective, uh, tournament, yada, yada, yada. They also have like the projections as far as points and for the lineup builder, you can say, Hey, 
I want 5% of this guy, no more, no less. I want to X this guy out. I want to lock yep. this button. And, uh, you know, and a lot of times I'll click, you know, optimize and play it. And you can get like a, you know, uh, you can spin it like a 15% uh, variance, 20% variance, 5% variance. And, you know, it's just all part of the package here at RT. And I hope I'm talking about this. I hope you guys can use this for golf. You guys are playing golf. And uh, of course, you, you can definitely use sports. it for, for um, MMA. Everything you just said, you know, showdown slates. And look, anybody who runs a lineup optimizer and does not put percentages in, um, you're doing yourself a disservice. Sure. I mean, you're defeating the whole purpose of using a lineup optimizer, because if you're just running the lineup optimizer as is, Think about how many people are going to get those same results. Like mm -hmm. what you want to do is, and, and you could use ownership. You could use Brett Apley's ownership projections. You could use your own ownership projections. And usually I'll start with a set of ownership projections and then I will tweak them based on what I feel. And then I never get what I want on the first run. You know, it's a lot of trial and error. I mean, you know, I, I might have to spend a half hour, 45 minutes yeah. doing runs until I get to ownership levels that I, I feel are, are okay. I mean, I never get exactly what I want. It's just how much am I willing to sacrifice one way or another? I mean, I think maybe one card, I actually got exactly what I wanted, <laughs> you know, using my percentages and running the lineup optimizer, but generally it's, it's, it's a back and forth and, you know, you got to put the percentages in, you got to use ownership projections. Otherwise you're going to get the same lineup everybody else gets, you know? And, and one thing I would do is look at the betting line odds and then lock in the three, lock in the three highest priced fighters and see based on betting line odds and see how many lineups you can generate by doing that. So if you did that last night, you would have gotten seven lineups using the top three fighters. That's a little trick that I've learned. Sometimes I'll also look at, there are cases, it's very rare, where you can build an entire DraftKings lineups, lineup out of betting line favorites. You know, so you could, there, yeah. it is very rare that that happens, but you can do that where every favorite, and, and that's based on obviously line movement. Um, you know, that is a lineup you should always play. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, just from a line value perspective. Now we're, now we're on the conversation. I'm just curious now because uh, how much you, you can, there's many things you can adjust, obviously. You can adjust how much money you want to leave on the table. And yes. sometimes you can say, I want to leave no more than 500 or 1,000 or 1,500. Or sometimes people will say, I don't want to max, I don't want to, you know, have a perfect, I don't want to get to the exact number. I want to leave at least 100 over. Uh, because again, for, you don't want to, you know, duplicate with somebody else. Uh, generally speaking, how much are you willing to leave on the table? See, what I don't, I don't, I don't, um, I have a range. Like okay. I'm okay with a $50,000 lineup generally, just okay. because there's typically a number of combinations that could get there. I, I typically don't want to leave. I'll generally set it at um, a max on the downside to say 48K, maybe 47.5 if I'm maxing playing 150 lineups because, you know, the natural, especially the hand builders, the uh -huh. natural in inclination is to use as much salary as you possibly can, right? Like that's just, that's just human nature in building lineups. You're like, okay, you know, I, I've like, I, I, I got these guys that I like, but man, I'm leaving a thousand dollars on the table. Should I be doing that? And by using the lineup optimizer, it takes that natural inclination away. Um, so I just want to cap it a little bit on the downside. Um, and I want to look at it after I see my run, you know, how many lineups am I putting in? You know, what's the average salary per lineup? Uh, and then again, I don't, I don't micromanage it, but I do set it on the, cause again, I, I also don't want, I don't want 46 K lineups yeah. either. Typically I don't want a lineup that leaves 4,000 on the table and gives me the bottom tier you know, salary guys. So I want, I want to, I want to kind of a mix. I want to go 48 to 50 K typically 
Yeah, and it delves another, you know, depending on the sport as well, too, because the optimal lineup at the end of a baseball slate uh, sometimes could be like 5,000 under, under the cap. Right, right, right. Weird. The absolute worst player in baseball, the worst player in baseball can have the best possible fantasy night, better than Mike Trout, better than everybody. And that's just how it goes sometimes. Well, that, that's the running joke for me. I mean, I, I've done horrible in baseball. In the past. I don't play <laughs> a lot. But one thing that I always seem to be able to nail in baseball <laughs> was that $2,000 catcher who hits, who hits a home run or two home runs. Like, yeah. you know, the, 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 the 6K guy that I'm putting in the lineup, you know, goes, goes 0 for 5 with three strikeouts. But the 2K catcher, because that's all I had left, and the catcher is typically the last guy I look to get in my lineup, the 2K catcher goes off and hits like two home runs and you know, puts up 28 points. Yeah, That's what I was known for. Not that it won me any money, but, <laughs> you know, so you're right. I mean, a lot of times, you, you know, you look at the other sports and, you know, yeah, you do leave money on the table. That's that's baseball for you. I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. I guess it's about a week away or so. No, you're a baseball guy, right? Baseball and basketball are my two favorite sports. So yeah, I'm 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 excited. I'm hope I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful and I'm excited. Well, you know, uh, there is there is a chance to win some really nice high end sat tickets for baseball and MMA. You should check those out. I mean, there was one I actually I put in because I generally I will play the sats for the other sports just because I know there's always someone who could help me figure out how to put a lineup together. They had some really, they had some really good satellites for for MLB. Like there was one for one of the fifteen hundred dollar tickets or something that they had yeah. um, that you could have won for nine bucks or you know something crazy like that on MMA. So I will build up tickets to other sports by virtue of of you know MMA. And opening night we have a million dollar, a couple million dollar tournaments. I believe opening night, if I'm not mistaken, for baseball or uh, oh, it's a two game. I think it's a two game slate on Thursday. Wow, uh, million dollar contest. Uh, $10 to jump in there. Showdown slate? Uh, I don't think it's a showdown. I'm just, I'm clicking on it right now on the fly, but. Uh, oh no, it wouldn't be because there's. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't believe so. But uh, Well, I'm, I, I'll probably, I won some tickets for the, the Millie Maker in NBA when NBA starts. Yeah. So I have some tickets that I won um, in MMA that I'll probably throw in a few lineups there. Yankees, Washington, and then Sam Fran versus the Dodgers. Uh, spoiler alert, Sam Fran's going to be really low-owned on a four-game, on a two-game slate. And yeah. if you want to embrace some variants, there you hey, go. Let's, let's add him judge. <laughs> Aaron Judge is going to go through the roof. And the Dodgers are going to crush. Uh, all right. Uh, that's enough baseball talk. That's all our sport. But, uh, yeah, so let's, uh, let's, let's put this on a bow. Uh, what should we reiterate? Anything you want to bring home? Anything we didn't uh, talk about as far as the slates or, uh, you know, close it out for us? Okay, so real quick, we didn't talk about the fight, but I think it's kind of interesting. Um, Montel Jackson. Is fighting Brent is fighting uh, Brett the Pikey Johns, and for those of you that don't know, the P- Pikey is what they call a gypsy in the UK. Okay, so that's a, that's slang for gypsy, Pikey. If you've ever seen like Lock, Talk and, Lock Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, any of those Guy Ritchie movies, you know, I need the the, the 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 words on the screen to figure out what they're saying. Yeah, the Brad, Brad Pitt played the Pikey, the boxer. You know, it was a great role by Brad Pitt. He played the Pikey. Pikeys are gypsies. So Brett, I mean, you know, looked really good in his last fight, put up a big number, and now they throw him to Montel Jackson. you got to look at Montel Jackson for the weight class. He is huge. His hand size is the same as, like, Francis Ngannou's, you know, the, the heavyweight. So Montel Jackson is an absolutely huge um, 135-er, I believe. <laughs> I, wow. I, sh- I should know this. If, if you, you should see how big he is, what his reach is. Um, it's going to be an interesting fight. I mean, you know, I, I – Brett Johns took some time off, came back really strong, and now he's getting thrown to Montel Jackson, um, who's just an absolute beast. He's a bantamweight, Montel Jackson. So 
He weighs 135 pounds. He's five foot ten with a 75 and a half inch reach at 135 pounds. <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and with massive hands. Um, and then, you know, you look at Brett Johns, who look, he's a good fighter. He's 16 and two. Um, he's five foot seven, which is not short, but he's at a five and a half inch reach disadvantage at, at 135 pounds. Um, so, you know, it's a shame because I really like Brett Johns, put up a good, good drafting score. Um, in his last fight after coming off of two losses, had a big number. He was only a really slight favorite. And now he's unfortunately getting thrown to, you know, to Montel Jackson, who's, who's kind of a beast. And, you know, he's a big underdog in this fight. So I, I think that's an interesting fight from a watching perspective. I also like Jackson, um, you know, for DraftKings. I think the fight will be semi-competitive because Johns is a good fighter. And then the only thing I'll close out with is just from a betting perspective, um, I definitely like Hermanson here. I think Hermanson is certainly worth a bet at near even. Gastelum is not an easy out, but again, I think he's a natural uh, natural welterweight. So I would certainly take a look at betting on, um, on Hermanson. And I would also take a shot, honestly, with Carolina. I mean, as much as I hate the idea of my girl, um, Ariana Lipsky, um, uh, and by the way, there's a video on Twitter that has this like women of MMA video, which is kind of cool. You guys should check it out. Um, it's got a really good soundtrack and Lipsky is one of the fighters on that video. Um, but I really think Carolina is live here. And, and if that line widens it all and, and Lipsky becomes a bigger favorite, I would certainly consider a play on, on Carolina. And I do think there's some value, although Figueroa is a beast, um, at this number, purely a value play. On, on Joe Benavides. By the way, if you like Hermanson, uh, minus 112 on DK, just kind of jumping around. He's plus 100 uh, on Fandle. Wow. So yeah, I like, that. I, I like that plus 100. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, one thing, I am doing a betting pod. I forgot to mention it. I am doing a betting pod tonight. It's really just – it's not a, not a DK pod. It's a betting pod with um, the guys at Bro Picks. Um, those guys have been putting out content for a long time. A bunch of young guys, um, they invited me to come on. So I'm looking forward to that. I like these betting pods um, because, you know, I'm a DraftKings player first. So um, I, I get as much as I give on these pods. So um, if you guys want to watch a betting pod with a couple guys that, again, put their own money out, um, I'll be coming on that tonight. I believe it's going to be live and you can watch it live. Well, actually, you know what? You're going to have to watch it recorded because <laughs> this, this, is not gonna be, this is not going to be no. released. So nope. I, I would say uh, watch the replay of that. It's Bro Picks, B-R-O, Picks Pod. I'll be on that pod as a guest. You were, you were great on the podcast, by the way. You were fantastic. You had amazing picks. I appreciate that, Dean. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I also did, I did the Sub and Club Pod. I do that occasionally, which is um, one of my buddies here in New Jersey. You know, he moderates that. And if anything, we had six guys on this pod. We went for two and a half hours um, for the Millie Maker. <laughs> um, so, like, every now and then I'll go on that pod when I've got, like, two hours to spare. Um, you know, those guys, do. you know, they're betting pods. They're not DraftKings pods. There's no conflict with, with what you're hearing here on, on Rotor Grinders, which is predominantly a DraftKings pod, although we do try to give you some bets. Yeah, I mean, it's good to hear different perspectives and people coming at it from different ways. And I'm sure right. you get something from guys that have uh, gambling perspectives, and they don't, they're not even in a world of, like, well, how much is somebody's salary in DK? They don't care. Yeah, and for those of you um, that that might think that um, you know that I, I have a problem, I did bet on Joey Chestnut to go over in the hot dog <laughs> eating contest, and I got a boost. 
from DK on that. And yes, I cashed on that bet. You got a fat. Well, the thing, the thing is, uh, I unfortunately don't live in a state where I can wager on such things, but uh, legally, um, I, you got to factor in the weather. I was thinking, even, even Chief Meteorologist Kevin Roth was talking about it. Like normally, I mean, I, I wonder if you've actually been there before because it's probably not far. Uh, Coney Island, right, is where yep. it normally goes down. And uh, it's probably like, what, 9,500 degrees on July 4th. They yep. do it like at like 11 or noon. And they were in uh, controlled conditions where it's like 75, 78, whatever it was, 80. And yeah, it was weird. There was no crowd to kind of cheer him on. And I don't yep. know if that's something that actually helps or hurts. <laughs> he, uh, he, he went over and um, I actually just saw Joey Chestnuts eat 32 Big Macs. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't even like I can't even conceive how anyone could do that. Um, like 32 White Castles would be hard enough. I've seen a guy do 32 White Castles. Yeah. Um, you know, but 32 Big Macs. I mean, that's incredible. And he had to eat all the lettuce that like fell out off the burgers afterwards. So that was fun. <laughs> you got to eat the grizzle. Yes, uh, you do. The, the old 96 there. Uh, I may or may not have watched uh, Eric Badlands Booker uh, drink four Shamrock shakes on on YouTube one like, like a week or two ago. <laughs> he had like a brain freeze in the middle of it, like he's just like this boot, this giant boot. He put yeah. the two of them in, uh, and he finished it like four Shamrock shakes uh, in like I don't know forty seconds or something ridiculous. And uh, he was terrible at the hot dogs. It's it's always interesting how they specialize. Like this guy's great at eating asparagus, but he can't eat hot dogs. I, I know. Like, right? What is why is there a certain you know, the, the certain skill for certain things. Or like matzo. Like there are some guys that have an amazing tolerance to heat. Like, so they could eat hot stuff, right? Um, where others can eat quantity, but they can't eat heat, you know? So it's, it's really interesting, these food challenges. And, <laughs> you know, look, Joey Chestnut, that's all he does. He is a full-time competitive eater, you know? And that's how he makes his yeah. living is competitive eating. And now he's like, I'm sure he's making money off of YouTube because you've got I hope two, so. two million people tune in to watch this guy eat 32 Big Macs. My, uh, my absolute favorite thing, we'll, we'll go in a second, but this yeah. is just on my brain. Yeah. My favorite thing is the, uh, the hyperbole of the announcers. Like when they start, Joey Chestnut, he's the favorite. They start comparing him like all the greatest athletes of all time. Like LeBron only won this many titles. And, the, you know, Babe Ruth only won this, hit this, many, hit this many home runs. And they put up this ridiculous hyperbole. Like, you know, if you didn't know any better, you think Joey Chestnut is the greatest athlete of this last uh, century and a half, which maybe he is. I don't know. Debatable. Yep. 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 <laughs> yep. He is. Look, I remember, I remember Kobayashi, you know, oh, the, sure. 100, the 130 pound guy that held the record for a lot of years. Um, and was just a small little guy that could eat like hot dogs, like no, nobody else. And I think he went to Smith and Walenska the night before the, you know, steakhouse the night before the hot dog eating contest. I don't know how you, how you do that stuff. But anyway, competitive eating, you, you could bet on anything. We got to have a podcast July 3rd next year. We'll talk. We'll, we'll oh, yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Well, it'll take like three minutes, though. Like, bet Joey Chestnut. Good, good night, everybody. I mean, I, I love the guy. Um, there's a guy, he actually does some work for Rotor Grinders, Pat Mayo. Um, and he does stuff like he handicaps The Bachelor. I mean, you know, he does all kinds of, of weird things, Pat Mayo. And I'm like, you know, like when you're handicapping the TV show, The Bachelor, like who's going to get the rose and oh, sure. you know, stuff like that. I mean, it just shows that there's a market for anything. There's this one guy I know who he actually convinced his parents to allow him to quit school to be a full-time gambler. This guy's betting on Russian ping pong. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's literally like on, on DraftKings, you could bet on Russian ping pong, Russian table tennis. So like Cornhole, which is that, which is a name that I wouldn't want to call a game, which, you know, you throw that little bean bag into sure. the, I mean, you could bet on that. I mean, it's it's incredible. It's amazing what you can bet on. <laughs> With that, uh, let's see. Your Twitter is is it Sun Tzu Joe? It's, a, it's, a, it's at Sun Tzu S U N T S. 
ZU. Um, by the way, my hat, if anyone's, this is a tribute to first responders, um, you know, my police department hat here. Um, shout out, I know quite a few. And uh, guys, look, we appreciate the hack out of what you guys are doing. The fact that you guys are showing up um, and working, you know, in, in these high pandemic areas, like you don't get paid enough for that. So just a big shout out to first responders. There you go. Uh, with that, he was Joe. I was Dean. This was MMA. This was the morning grind also. We're out of here. Yeah. Uh, Peace. Peace.